You're listening to Blessed, Living the Good Life According to Jesus, a study of the Beatitude. For more information, visit our website at crosspointptc.com. doing today? Good. Welcome to Cross Point. Uh, my name is Joe Simon, the lead pastor here. We are so glad you guys are, are here to join us for our, uh, our, our <coughs> excuse me, getting over a little cold, first week of our new series called Hashtag Blessed. And uh, the question that we're going to address this whole series is what does it mean to be blessed? I, I mean, I, I look on social media and I see what celebrities and, and, and people uh, all over the place think it means to be blessed. I mean, I saw, remember, remember the rapper Doug E. Fresh? I saw him hashtag uh, a blessed uh, hashtag on Twitter the other day with a picture of a BET award. And then I, and then I saw another lady who's married, remember Carlton from uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Yeah, like she, she like, like married to the most wonderful man in the world, hashtag blessed. And I'm like, well, yeah, it's Carlton from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Of course you're blessed. Why wouldn't you be blessed? It's Carlton. It's C-Money. You know, that is the guy that, that we love. But I see it on Twitter with celebrities and, and, and just people posting success and, and material things. There was a, a 15-year-old kid, he got his permit, and he took a picture of a brand new 20. It had to be 2015 because I've never seen it before. Convertible Corvette. He said, just got my permit, hashtag blessed. I was like, man, I hope you got hashtag insurance. Like, that just, that just doesn't seem good. He was all hanging out the window and stuff, and I was like, that's just a bad idea right there. But we see it on Instagram, we see it on Facebook with, with, with even just less, lesser material things and more relational, <clears throat> excuse me, new babies or new relationships or new marriages or, or, or just things that are good. And on Instagram, maybe some of you are guilty of this. You've come to the worship service or you've been to a worship service, you've taken a picture of it and you said, I'm just worshiping the day with my church family, hashtag blessed and so this blessed you know sort of theme goes throughout social media but it also goes through our lives i mean we have conversations every day how you doing man oh brother i'm blessed i'm blessed i'm blessed brother how about you i'm blessed sister you know like we just have this blessed language and i think we've hijacked it because i begin to think of of what we deem as blessed and it seems to me we are blessed when we are successful. We are blessed when we gain material wealth. And we are blessed when people give us stuff. That's when we're blessed, is what we're telling the world. And, 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 and so my question is, for the mother who is barren, who can't have a child, is she blessed? You know, for the guy who lost his job and is now struggling to figure out what he's going to do to pay for the bills and make ends meet for his family, is he blessed? You know, we don't, we don't see people taking pictures of their eviction notices and saying, just got evicted from my apartment, hashtag blessed. We've hijacked this word blessed to mean something it doesn't mean. So what does it mean to be blessed? Chan Kilgore, the lead pastor of Cross Point Lake Nona, says this about the word blessed. Deep within every single person lies a desire to live a blessed life. 
It is the constant pursuit and dream of everyone's heart. This longing is displayed in an undeniable way every day in social media. Hashtag blessed is used on Twitter 15,000 times per day to find 15,000 different ways. The real question is how did Jesus define blessed? Jesus in Matthew 5, 1 through 16 invites us to live a blessed life in a radically different way than the world defines it. It is a message that gives us the life we long for, a life of true joy and peace. So let's dive in today. As, and what we're going to do, we're going to do a quick overview um, of what we're going to be talking about in the next nine weeks. And we're going to see what Jesus meant when he said the word blessed. So we're going to pray. I'm really stoked. There's so many people here for first service. I thought for sure the cold would make you guys sleep in. Was getting out of bed hard for anybody? It was for me. I thought about having Jason preach first service. I was just like, forget that. Like, I'll just, I'll just watch North Point online for the first service and then go in and preach. Jason can talk about this. He's, he's just as equipped as I am. So, all right, let's pray. God, we love you. God, you're gracious. Um, you're holy and you're perfect. Thank you for your love, mercy, and grace. Um, teach us what it means to be blessed. Uh, today, God, teach us what it means to be blessed this fall. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, before we jump in, I want you, I want to, this, this is a shotgun. The, the guys don't even know this is happening, so it won't be up there. Um, I, I want to read a little bit of Psalm 92. This is the psalm that I was reading this morning. I just, I just want to start us off with this. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp. And the melody of the lyre for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. I read that this morning. It was just, oh, just, oh, God, you're majestic. You're wonderful. You're amazing. You're incredible. And I just wanted to share that with you guys. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about today except for God's greatness and goodness. But I just wanted to share that. I just didn't want that to get away. I'll remember before I go into my spiel for second service. <clears throat> but... Let's just, let's just come before the Lord, who we, who we just sang his mercy and his love and his grace. And let's ask him, God, what does it mean to be blessed today? <clears throat> okay. We're, we're in Matthew 5. Leading up to Matthew 5, um, Matthew has been telling us about Jesus' birth, Jesus' uh, baptism. And, and what we have before we get into this Sermon on the Mount is the temptation of Jesus, where Jesus spends 40 days and nights in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan, okay? That is intense. It's not, he's not being tempted by, you know, Baywatch or, or cable television or billboards. He's not being tempted by money or food. He's being tempted by Satan. So this is intense, and Jesus is enduring. He's, he's fasting. He's hungry. And then out of that, he starts his ministry. He calls his first disciples, and he goes, and he's preaching to all these people. He's healing all of these people. Matthew's telling us he's ministering to great crowds, and what he does is he, 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 and it says, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This would be like saying, and great crowds follow Jesus from New York, and Baltimore, and Chicago, and Atlanta. Like Jesus is making his way through the towns. He's preaching the kingdom of God. And we get to Matthew 5, and it says this. 
seeing the crowds, all the multitudes he's been preaching to. He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So his disciples are the people who follow his teaching. They're the people who say, we follow Jesus. We believe in Jesus. It's not just the disciples who are the 12, and that's really important for us to realize today, because if you go to the end of chapter 7, it says, and when Jesus finished saying these things, uh, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. So there is a lot of people there. There are these crowds that have followed Jesus, but they're his disciples. And I want you guys to identify with yourself today as a disciple of Jesus if you follow Jesus. That this sermon isn't just meant for, for, for people who we think are in sort of the upper echelon of faith, which by the way, that doesn't exist. There's not better Christians and worse Christians. There's just Christians. So this isn't a sermon for people who are full-time vocational in church ministry. This isn't a, a sermon for people who lead Bible studies. This is a sermon for anybody who calls Jesus Lord. And he says, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and this is Jesus' first sermon. Look how he starts. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is how Jesus begins his sermon on the mount. If, if I started my sermon like this just, and, I, and Josiah walked up, blessed are the poor in spirit. You guys walk away going, man, I, I know his intro was kind of off. You know, he didn't have any connective tissue. He didn't make a joke. He didn't make me feel welcome. He just kind of started. And like, that's how Jesus starts. So there we go. The prince of preachers just starts out of the gate. No stories, no intro, just straight up tells the Christians, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what he does here and what Matthew accounts for, really, really interesting. He's using a literary device called inclusion. Say inclusion. Very good. Inclusion is where you bookend a part of your teaching so you identify the theme between the bookends about what it's about. So you look at the first beatitude. It talks about the poor in spirit. What happens to the poor in spirit? They get the kingdom of God. And you look at the last beatitude. What is it? Those who are persecuted for my sake. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The first and last are the same. The bookends are telling us the Beatitudes is about the kingdom of God. That's what this entire message is about. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is here. It is present, and to be in the kingdom of God is to be blessed. Have you guys ever wondered why we read it, blessed are those, blessed 
there's no reason we just say that. There's no biblical reason. Like I said, I even started today. I was like, blessed. And I was like, why am I saying that? Does anybody read that word and go, blessed? You know, like if you saw that on a billboard, it'd be like, oh, man, uh, blessed our chicken wings. You know, and that'd be like, oh, blessed our chicken wings. You know, that's so, we're trying to, I don't know. I think it was just the King James version of why we said that. But, but we're going to say blessed. And I may go in and out because I'm old school, but that's how I am. So Jesus is saying that to be in the kingdom of God is to be blessed. This is much more of a divine approval than it is something to strive for. Jesus is saying that that, that you are blessed. God smiles upon you if you are in the kingdom of God. And, And here's the thing. We look through... I look through Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and I see all of this prosperity. And prosperity's fine. If you got a lot of money, that's great. It, money's amoral. It's how you use it, whether or not it's sinful or not. I look at Twitter and Facebook, and there's all of this mention of just gathering wealth and possessions, and not once do I see Jesus mentioning, blessed are the people who got a raise. Blessed are the people who got a house. Blessed are the people who got a family or a bigger family. Or blessed is the girl who got married. Blessed is the guy who got the very last of mice and men tickets. Like, I don't see any of that. Like, there's no mention of wealth. There's no mention of success. There's no mention of progress as the world thinks of it. And that is because to be blessed is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is amazing because He changes us. And so this sermon describes the Christian character. It's not a bunch of rules to follow, but rather a framework for what every single Christian looks like. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, what is of supreme importance is that we must always remember that the Sermon on the Mount is a description of character, not a code of ethics and morals. It's not to be regarded as law, a new kind of Ten Commandments or set of rules and regulation which are to be carried out by us, but rather as a description of what we Christians are meant to be illustrated in some respects. So my question for you today is, do you know Jesus? Not do you know about Jesus, not can you rattle off facts about Jesus, not did you grow up in church, not do you come on Christmas and Easter, not do you give your money, not do you know the stories and you said a prayer at church camp, do you know Jesus? Because that is what gets you into the kingdom of heaven. Because if you don't know Jesus, if you're not saved by Christ, you are spiritually dead. And here is why. In the beginning, God created everything, and everything was perfect. God created man and woman and, and, and plants and Tennessee football. Just, you know, just everything that's perfect and holy in this world. And, and in the beginning, man disobeyed God, and we were cut off from God. We were cut off from our spiritual life force, so we spiritually died. My wife is pregnant with our third little girl right now. Yeah. Praise God. Yes. 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 I prophesied, brothers and sisters. And then, geez, now God gave me a girl. That's, that's what happened. Right now, that little baby girl, bless her heart, she is attached to her mommy through an umbilical cord. 
and that is her life force. She is being fed and taken care of. She's breathing all by that umbilical cord. We had a spiritual umbilical cord that attached us to God, and when we sinned, that umbilical cord was severed, and we suffered a spiritual death. And instead of God looking at his creation and saying, they're disgusting, they've messed up, I'm, I'm going to wipe them all out, he chose to redeem us, he chose to rescue us, he chose to send his son Jesus to do everything that we couldn't do, to live a perfect life without sin, in full obedience. He was hung on a cross and killed for our sin and what we've done. He's taken all the punishment. We will not receive punishment because it's already been dealt on Christ. And then he rose him again. Three days later, he conquered the sin that entangles us. He conquered the death that keeps us at bay. And we have a way back to God now. And so I, I can't stand it when preachers preach that, that, oh, yeah, no, you're drowning. And Jesus throws you a life preserver. And you swim to it. And then you get the life preserver. And then he pulls you in. And that's what, that's what salvation is, brother. You've been saved. I'm like, no, that's like a buddy salvation project. That's not what this says. This says we are dead in our sin. You are not drowning. You are dead at the bottom of the ocean. You're not flailing around looking for someone to help you. You're unconscious. You're not breathing. And Jesus dives in the water. He goes down to the depths of the sea. He brings you up on shore and he breathes life into you. That is salvation. You cannot save yourself. You have no part in your salvation. Dead men can't swim. That's why it's amazing that God saves us. Because we have no part in it. We've royally screwed up to the point we've drowned ourselves to the bottom of the ocean. We've made foolish decisions that have killed us. And Jesus, in his mercy, risks everything to save us. And so if you know Jesus then this sermon describes you or what your life can look like as a believer. There are going to be certain aspects of this sermon that are going to be challenging, but, but the one thing to keep in mind is that this sermon isn't a list of spiritual gifts that are divvied up among believers. No, these are character traits that exist in and for every single Christian. It's not like some of us are going to be poor in spirit and then some of us are going to be meek. No, that's not how it works. The Christian is all of these. Now, um, there may be times where, um, where you're suffering more than another person will be suffering. There may be times where you're more of a peacemaker than someone is a peacemaker. That ebbs and flows, but every single character trait is present in every single Christian, and you and I are capable by the Holy Spirit through Jesus to the Father to exemplify these characteristics because we have been saved by him. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. This is great. Uh, this is really hard, too. If you find yourself arguing with the Sermon on the Mount at any point. It means either that there is something wrong with you or else your interpretation of the sermon is wrong. Isn't that great? Like, because we love to argue with the Bible, right? But, but we do realize, like, this is Jesus. Like, Jesus said this, right? So to argue with the Sermon on the Mount isn't to send me an email, well, just I think your exegesis was off a little bit. No, it's like sending Jesus an email and being like, well, Jesus, I don't really think that, you know, we should totally turn the other cheek. You know, I mean, there's times it's like, no, 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 no. We don't get to argue with the Savior and the creator of the universe. So there's either something wrong with you or your interpretation is off. And so here's the thing. 
We need to approach this sermon with humility because you're going to have objections naturally. Wrestle through those objections. But know going into those objections that you're totally wrong. Like, you ever, you ever just fought tooth and nail knowing you're wrong in an argument? You're just, you are just fighting and spitting. You just keep reiterating the one point that sounds the best, you know? It's like, oh, yeah, well, well, I went to the store. I went to the store is what I did, you know? Like, somehow going to the store, like, makes up for the fact that you left the, the oven on and burned the house down. Like, you were doing something good. Well I, well, I went to the store, you know? Like, that is what you'll sound like if you argue the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus is going to win every time. I think a major objection we have um, in, in the Beatitudes is, is this. I think that we think that non-Christians exemplify uh, the Beatitudes. If you're a non-Christian here today, you don't exemplify the Beatitudes. That's not possible. Um, and, and, and we all have that friend who are like, well, I have a friend. He's not really a Christian, but to tell you the truth, he's more Christian than my Christian friends. That is a false statement. That is not true. And here's why. Uh, these are dispositions produced by the Holy Spirit in grace. Uh, this is a supernatural thing. This is not a natural temperament. And, and, and this is why it's a wonderful thing. Sam Storms, D.A. Carson, and, and Martin Lloyd-Jones come together, and they have this quote that we're going to pull up. This is why it's so amazing. The virtues, qualities, and characteristics described here are supernatural. That is to say they, excuse me, are not inherent to human nature. They are produced and cultivated by the Spirit of God. Natural endowments that resemble them are still only natural and will never find acceptance with God. The really good news is that the Beatitudes not only describe what you and I should be, they describe what we can be. The gospel of grace can take the proudest man and make him deeply aware of his spiritual poverty. It can transform the meanest into the most humble and the self-sufficient into the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. That's why it's amazing that this isn't a natural disposition. This, doesn't, this means that none of us have a leg up on each other at all because how we are naturally, how we are made physically, biologically, none of us are predisposed to be more of this or more of that. It's all a work of grace because the gospel transforms us. Jesus gives us a new heart. And, and, and that's the lie that non-Christians believe is that they somehow have to do something. I've told this story several times here at Cross Point. I'm going to continue to tell it because it's amazing. I, I went to church camp. Anybody ever been to church camp? Isn't it awesome and just terrible all at the same time? You're just, you're just crying and snotting. You go home, you smash your CDs because you're never going to listen to Metallica again and Tupac's the devil and all that. And then a week later, you go rebuy all of them. And you're like, gosh, I just broke the bank buying all the CDs. I smashed. Or you wait for your friend to throw his CDs away and then you jump in the dumpster and go through and make sure you know, he didn't throw away any good ones. You want to make sure that, that, that he's truly repentant, but you definitely go check that dumpster. Uh, and so, so I'm at church camp, and the way they had the church camp set up in the middle are the bathrooms on this side of the camp, or the boys' dorms on this side of the camp, or the girls' dorms. And, and being the father of uh, soon-to-be three girls, I'm very thankful for that. I think that's a great idea. I think that there should just be girls' dorms and girls' dorms, and then the boys should just go to camp somewhere else. I think that's how it should be. That's how God created it, you know. But anyway, 
It's so far away from the boy's cabin. And I'm all excited. You know, just like I'm excited now. Imagine just 13-year-old Josiah just in bright blue sweatpants and an oversized tee and just running around, just, you know, just zits and frosted tips and, you know, just big brace teeth. That's just me. And I'm all excited. And, and I have to go to the bathroom like, well, I've heard stories all week about Johnny Clubfoot and, you know, like the, the, the Jason killer in the woods. It's nighttime. I'm not going to the bathroom by myself. So I decided to use God's bathroom right outside of the cabin, just the way it was meant to be. <clears throat> so I go outside, and I start to go to the bathroom, and I hear weeping, which is the most terrifying thing you can hear in my current position. And, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm just like, where is that coming from? And I look down, and right here, thank God he's here and not here, is my friend Jeff. And Jeff is this huge dude, and Jeff is crying, and I'm just like, what's up, man? <laughs> you know, like, what do you say? You know, just like, just politely take a step over, I don't know. And, and, and so Jeff is weeping, and, and, and I, I finish, and we, we get to talk, and I'm like, what's going on, man? He's like, I just, I, you know, I want to, just the sermons have been hitting me. I have this thing in my heart. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a Christian. I hear about his love. I know that he loves me. I just have to get some things in order first. I just have to clean myself up before I can become a Christian. And that breaks my heart because that is the lie that so many people believe, specifically in the Bible Belt, because of the culture that we've created in these churches that say, you can't come in with a hat on. You can't come in dressed like that. You can't come in wearing those tattoos. I took a picture before I took a social media fast of, uh, you'll see it if you stay for second service, between the bathrooms, you're going to trip over like 18 skateboards. That's our church. I love that. That means these little skater punks feel welcome at our church. They skate all the way here, and they go to Taco Bell when it reopens and buy everything. And Taco Bell has the office, and they come, they sit on the front row, and they talk just at inappropriate times, like to me, about things that have nothing to do with the sermon, you know. And they yell, and they raise their hand because they, they've never been to church before. They think it's a classroom, so they think it's being polite. You know, like, hey, I have a question about that. And I love it. Because that means they feel welcome. They feel like they don't have to clean themselves up to be a part of this thing. And if you don't follow Jesus, that is the lie that you have to dispel. If you're, if you're sitting there saying, Josiah, I've been coming to Crosspoint. I want to become a Christian. I want to do this thing. Then just do it. Come to Jesus. You don't have to clean yourself up. That's what Jesus does. You don't have to pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. That's what Jesus does. There's a reason he's called the Savior. He saves you. You don't save yourself. You don't clean yourself up. You don't make yourself better. And that is not what is in here. And if you say it is, you haven't read it. You're regurgitating horrible lies that someone has told you. Jesus has come to do everything you can't. He's come to do everything for you. He's amazing. And so if that's you today... If you say, I want to follow Jesus, I'm tired of trying to clean myself up, fill that connect card out, let's talk. I want to hear your story. I want to hear what that means. The last thing I want to kind of hit on <clears throat> is this part where Jesus talks about us being the salt and the light as believers. Um, and I hope that, that if you're not a believer today, I, I hope that you hear this 
Um, I hope that the message for you in all of this is, is, is just the grandness of all that Jesus has gone through to get you back. Everything he's done to rescue you. Everything he's done out of love to save you. But if you are a believer today, <clears throat> Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if a salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus calls us salt and he calls us light. Salt preserves, salt gives flavor, salt restores, salt heals. As a Christian, we come into this world, uh, we are saved by Jesus, we are given new hearts, and then we do the hard work of preserving, of healing what's broken, of giving flavor to this sinful world, and that flavor is continually Jesus. And we are light. Light exposes. Light, light exposes two things. It exposes the ugliness of sin and exposes the beauty of Jesus Christ. So as we leave this place every single week, we go on mission as salt and light. We enter our homes as, as a means to heal. We enter our communities as a means to expose what's ugly about this world and what's beautiful about Jesus. We go into our communities and our schools and we represent the, the, the one who has come to save and to fully restore what's been fractured since the beginning of time. We don't just come here and do church and then go out and we just do our Monday through Saturday thing. No, we gather here and we leave individually. I, I think, I think a, a great temptation is to look at the American church or the local church and say, well, why, aren't you, why isn't the church doing this? Why isn't the church doing that? Why isn't the church you know, doing this? And my question to those people is it's really easy to deconstruct something that you're not a part of. It's really easy to, to deconstruct something that you don't want to be a part of. It's easy to go somewhere else and see all the holes and flaws in, in, in something that you're not invested in. And my question for those people is, what are you doing to fix that? What about you? You're a light. You are salt. Let, let's stop pointing fingers and critiquing the American church because really we're just standing in a mirror going, oh, what's wrong with him and what's wrong with her and why don't they do this and why don't, they, why don't we just instead take the mirrors out of our house and walk out the front door and recognize that we are here to bring the good news of Jesus to our community. We are here to bring the saving grace of God into our homes and our schools and our communities and our workplaces. I wonder how much just impact and, and transformation we could see in Peachtree City if we stop doing this. And we start walking as light. We start walking as salt. We start seeing Jesus heal people and mend people and save people. And, 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 I, and I, I sat, I went through this week, I'll tell you guys this, this week has been dry and exhausting for me. Um, and I'll just be honest with you guys, because, I mean, people say, well, don't be too honest from the stage. And I'm like, well, that's, that's called lying. 
<laughs> so you want me to lie from the stage? That's not good. That's not a good example. But I'll tell you, like, this was the first week in ministry that I thought, do I even really want to do this anymore? You know? And, 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 and you can't judge me for that because you guys think that about your jobs. Do I even want to do this anymore? And it wasn't like nothing's wrong. Our church is great. We're seeing people saved. Jesus is doing amazing things. Like, it's not, it's not coming from a place of discontent. It's just dryness. Like, I just God's doing amazing things happen. There's no, like, secret sin that I'm not repenting of, and I got I to gotta bring that before Michael and Jason, and, and that would bring this satisfaction. No, I think God has been doing something. I think, I think God and Satan, well, I don't know if Satan knows who I am, but whatever demon's assigned to me, it, it like, has been doing something this week and, and just wrestling with, do I want to do this? anymore is it worth all the stress and pressure it's incredibly that being a pastor is one of the top 10 most stressful jobs uh i think i think reported by i think it was forbes uh that you could ever have it's up there with with being a president of a school ceo of a company and uh funny enough a stay-at-home mom that was i think that was i think that was number four on the list i i, I or it was up there i was like yeah no because i've i've there are days where i'm just home with the girls and i just hold my wife when she comes back Thank you. Thank you for being you, you know. And, and so, you know, I thought, I was like, what, do I even want to do this anymore? And, and, then, and then, like, I go on this social media fast, so now I'm dealing with, uh, with idolatry through, through approval and comfort that I get. You know, I'm no longer getting a shot in the arm every time someone likes what I say on social media or retweets what I say, and I get that little buzz from, ooh, people like me, you know? So now I gotta wrestle with all of that. On top of that, I'm physically sick. And then I go to Catalyst, which is just awful. It's just the worst. And, and, and it, was, it was a great conference for what it was. But for me, it was just awful. I was, I was representing Acts 29 at one of the exhibitor booths, and I'm an introvert. So, hey, that's a good idea. Let's put the guy who's an introvert with 40,000 people asking him tons of questions and shaking tons of hands. And so I'm exhausted physically, and then I'm also discouraged because I see my own idolatry. Sorry, I'm just throwing up on you guys right now. Um, you know, just wanting a big platform and influence and a bigger church. And, and I see it in the eagerness and the energy of everybody attending the conference. And I hear the sessions. And apparently, to be a catalyst leader means you're awesome and innovative. So that's it. Just be awesome and innovative. And then you're, you can have the biggest church in America. And so I'm in the park in Atlanta. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm just like, what am I doing? What is, the, like, just one of those just cataclysmic moments. And God in his mercy and his grace just drops just his love on me. And I look out, my girls are running around in a park in Atlanta. And I'm with my wife. And, and his spirit just begins ministering to me, reminding me of who I am and what blessed means. And I wrote this down. I don't have it on the screen for you guys because I want you to hear it. I'm not blessed if I get a big church or if people get saved this year. I'm not blessed if my ministry is a success. Being blessed isn't having influence or getting to do things I've always dreamed of doing. I'm blessed because Jesus has saved me. Because God has brought me from death to life. Because I have his spirit in me and live continually knowing I'm in his presence. I'm blessed. 
and the Holy Spirit put that on me, man, I mean, you talk about the tank being refilled to preach, the tank being refilled to do ministry, reorienting, seeing my purpose, seeing my identity not as a planter, but as a son of God, seeing my identity not as a creative leader or innovative thinker, but as a child of Abba Father which is so weird because now I feel energized and, and, and ready to do all the things that the world is telling me you have to be awesome at. Isn't that weird? But I don't feel the pressure to be awesome. I feel equipped to do them because God has called me to do them because my identity is rooted in the, per, in the proper place. And that's what happens when we approach life from a position of approval in God, in opposition to pursuit of approval from God. When we lay down our idols and we say, I'm found in Jesus, I am rooted in Christ, not I have to pursue Jesus, I have to run after Christ. That theology is exhausting. And it's exhausting some of you. That's why you're here today. That's why you say things like, this church is a breath of fresh air. I feel like I don't have to perform. Right, because that's, we, I don't see, it's just, I don't know, like, I don't know how you preach anything other than Jesus. I just, I just, it just, it's baffling that you could go to another church and not hear about Jesus. And I'm not saying that we're the best church. There's tons of churches that preach Jesus, but just hearing your stories, it's just mind-blowing. What would you preach? He's the best thing you could preach. That's all we talk about every week. I say the same thing over and over and over again. It's like hearing it for the first time every single week. So that's what it's been for me this week. And here's what I want it to be for our church. Pastor Chan said this. I have a lot of quotes because a lot of guys said it way better than I could. This is what Chan says. Cross Point Church exists for no other reason than to point people to Jesus Christ. To be salt in a broken, decaying, and dying world. To be light in a world that seems to always be winter and never Christmas. I believe that we as a church can be such a force for gospel in our cities that we can see the brokenness of our city truly become beautiful. I believe that in our lifetime that God can use us to see our city redeemed by the power of the gospel for his own glory. The question that verse 16 presents us with is how do we become salt and light? The answer to that question is found in verses 1 through 12. And we will spend the next nine weeks together unpacking these nine statements that begin with blessed. We will plunge the depth and the riches of Jesus' gospel manifesto. And my prayer is that as we soak in the truth of what a blessed life truly is, we will never be the same. That we will experience the truth of the gospel in such a way that we will be restored and healed and become salt and light to our city that our church will become like a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. We will become a church that emanates the glory of our Father in heaven. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O 
S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C.com. <laughs>